really a fan of summer. No, I do not like it. Hot. Clearly. Sunny and and hot, I do not like. Yeah, I've been hearing that for a while. <laughs> so, do you like autumn? Oh, God, it is without a doubt my favorite, favorite season. Oh, thank God. I fell in love in autumn, and it's just marvelous. It's cool. Baking and people wear these nice, lovely, chunky sweaters. And I wear <laughs> lovely, chunky sweaters because it kind of hides my venal ways. I'm not saying anything. <laughs> so, yes, I come alive. There, there's the energy and the coolness of it just makes me mm, very excited. And so, what is your favorite part of autumn? Mm. To me, what is just quintessential about autumn is the smell of candied nuts in the air from those street carts, you know, street, you're walking yeah, down yeah. the street or through Central Park. Yeah, yeah. That, to me, is autumn. Well, you know, it's interesting. I think we have a great lineup today that, coincidentally, is perfect for fall, and mm. it's not even something that we planned. Yeah, you're It right. just happened, right? Well, when that happens. And so, we are first talking to the award-winning cookbook author, Amy Traverso, about apples. And then we're going to jump back to last September mm-hmm. when you and the one went to London yes. and fell madly in love and lust and all kinds of things with that bakery called Outsider Tart. Uh, the Outsider Tart, absolutely. A run by two, oh God. <laughs> A run by two Americans who don't talk like they have fake British accents. Oh, I don't see why not. I think it'd be fabulous to be able to do that. <laughs> David Muniz and David Lesniak, three Davids, that's going to be something else. So we're going to talk about bakery things. And then we're going to be wrapping up with a reading from food writer Michael Procopio titled Like an Arancino. Who doesn't want a big pot of risotto in the fall? Yeah, and also fried risotto balls afterwards, right? Perfect with the leftovers. Exactly. And David, didn't you want to talk about that coffee syrup thing you've been Oh, yeah, yes, yes. This is the first time we're going to be talking about Leet's Loves, which are things that any of us on the staff absolutely love. Can't live without. Can't live without. And for me, it is Dave's Coffee Syrup. And if you live in New England, you know what I'm talking about. So all that right here on Talking With My Mouthful, with me, your very handsome and debonair host, <laughs> David Lee, publisher of LeetsCulinaria.com. And me, Renee Shetler-Rossi, its editor-in-chief. The always charming Renee Shetler-Rossi. Flattery will get you everywhere. So, Renee, have you ever been apple picking? No. Really? Well, not unless you count. We grew up on a farm Mm -hmm. when I was little, and we had a couple of crabapple trees. Mm -hmm. And, oh, my God, it was horrible. Every fall, there was just millions and millions and millions, and they would rot, and I'd have to go out and rake them. Oh, no, that is not a fun memory of apple picking. No, that was apple raking. (laughs) So, what about you? Well, I grew up apple picking. Seriously? Yes, I did. Papa Leet had several apple trees. No way. Really big, beautiful apple trees. And each one had several graphs of different types of apples and also had pear trees and peach trees and everything. So I would pick every year. You were a privileged child. Well, I guess I was a farmer's child, I guess you could say. So yeah, I have great, great memories of apple picking. Did your mom make pie with him? No, my mom does not bake. We just ate out of hand. Well, yeah, the right variety and you're good to go. Absolutely. So we're rhapsodizing about apples today, not just because we love them, Mm -hmm. but because we actually have with us Amy Traverso, who is what I think it's safe to say the world's foremost authority on apples. 
You're welcome, Amy. Thank you. And for those of you living in a cave, Amy is the author of the Apple Lover's Cookbook. It's really a Bible more than a cookbook. Actually, so yeah, we're going to change the title. The Apple Lover's Bible. So we changed I the name of, of your as, book. I think of it as a great romance, actually. <laughs> oh, a romance Aww. novel. See, that's I great. I love that. that's between me and apples. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. So, Amy, even though I grew up eating apples and picking apples in the backyard with my dad, every autumn I kind of get this apple amnesia. I can't really remember what apple goes with what type of food, like pies or apple butter or applesauce. So can you tell us and our listeners the basic layout, if you will, of what apples are best for what? Yes. Okay. Well, I'm going to say right now in the world, the best estimates I've seen are that there are about a thousand varieties of apples being grown that we have identified and named and about a hundred apple varieties that uh, we sort of grow in any volume that that people might encounter on a regular basis. Mm-hmm. So you're going to have to talk quickly if you're going to tell us what each one is good for. <laughs> right. <laughs> Alphabetically, so I'm not, too. I'm you not, must list them. I'll, I'll spare you that. But, I, but, but mm-hmm. even in your most basic supermarket, right, you yeah. have maybe six varieties, mm-hmm. which is amazing because when you look at the lemons, there's one lemon. And when you look at oranges, mm, maybe there's two, but there's a lot of apples. So everyone sort of already knows that apples are varietal, mm-hmm. that they come in these different forms, but they don't come labeled, and it's confusing, which is the first reason I set out to write the book, because apples are really different. You know, a Gala yeah. and, a, and a Red Delicious and yeah. a Granny Smith, not only do they taste different, but they will perform differently under heat. Exactly. Oh, yeah. Yes. So I created these four categories in the book. Um, so there are, and, and they're, they're grouped according to their firmness and mm-hmm. how well they hold up to heat, and then according to their sweetness. I thought those were sort of the most important variables to look at. Yep. So we have firm tart apples. There's four categories. Firm tart. You're talking about uh, Granny Smith being yes. the prime example mm-hmm. of firm. There's, uh, let's I see, Northern Spy, Newtown Pippin, Rhode Island Greening, the Rome Ooh, apple. The Greening, I love those. It's a nice one. Out, out west, people will know the Sierra Beauty, which is a lovely mm. apple. Um, so those are some of the firm tart ones. Firm sweet, you're looking at a lot of the new varieties like Honeycrisp, Jazz, um, Pinata, Pink Lady, Sweet oh. Tango. Mm-hmm. Those are a lot of those you'll find at the supermarket. And are the Pink so, Ladies the one when you slice their pink inside? No, no those are no. Oh, those are my favorite. Those are called Pink Pearl. Pink and Pearl. look for those. If you can find them, uh, Pink Pearl, Hidden Rose, there are several of these. There's an apple called Surprise that also has this pink flesh. Oh, that's great. Mm. And they taste like raspberries. They're really amazing. Um, but, okay, so so the firm apples we just discussed, those mm. are going to be your pie apples because they're going to hold up. They're, they will stay intact and firm even when you're baking them in a pie or another kind of uh, dish that is going to be in the oven for a while. Mm-hmm. Like a then crumble you have your, or a crisp. Right, or, yeah. exactly. Yeah, and I love to just kind of mix up a bunch of firm tart and firm sweet apples because nice. you know, apples, the flavors of apples run from the sort of vegetal Granny Smith mm-hmm. to the kind of almost grape-like and honey-sweet honey, ash meets yeah. kernel. So, yeah, use use as many varieties as you can get your hand on. Go to the farmer's market. Um, you can ask the grower, are these firm? Are these going to break down? And so for like and an then, applesauce, you'd want one that would break down. 
Right. So those are the tender apples. Like mm-hmm. um, the classic tender tart apple would be the Macintosh. Right. Um, the Empire, the Cortland. Uh, those are those are good examples. Now, tender sweet apples are kind of more unusual. I would put Red Delicious in that category. I'm not a huge fan of that apple, but if you like yeah. them, <laughs> that's where they go. And where does Golden uh, Delicious go? Golden Delicious is pretty firm. That that holds up pretty well. So I put that in firm sweet. Okay. And then tender sweet, a, a really good British apple that's classically tender sweet is the Cox's Orange Pippin. That's sort of mm-hmm. one of the beloved British. Uh, eating apples, and it makes a great sauce. Fuji and Gala, I put in the tender sweet category. Some they they're a little firmer than uh, Macintosh, but they still are not really all that firm. So, Amy, I don't know. I'm assuming you run into this problem too. When I go to the farmers market, I see all these different varieties in fall that aren't going to be there that long, and I just can't buy enough. You hoard them, right? Well, I do, but you know. I never know how to store them. Do I put them in the fridge? Do I not put them in the fridge? I don't want them to get mealy and mushy and gross like the apples when I grew up. You know, That's a good question because my dad, when I was growing up, and he still does it now, we have a bulkhead. I don't know if you guys know what a bulkhead is. Mm-hmm. And in the winter, it's very cold. It's not It's not insulated. And that's where the apples go and the pears go and the uh, potatoes go and the onions go. And we just eat them. You know, all year long. Well, I live in a Manhattan apartment. I don't have a you bulkhead. Don't have a bulk so, head. Amy, help. <laughs> Where do I keep the apples, the bushels and bushels of apples I lug home from the farmer's market? Yeah, so for those of us who don't have root cellars or bulkheads, um, the best way to store your apples is either in a paper bag in your produce drawer in your fridge mm-hmm. or in a plastic bag that has some holes poked in it. You want to sort of, you want the environment that you're storing them to be moister than the pure refrigerator air, but not uh, not wet, because then that's not good for them either. So the paper bag is ideal, or the plastic bag with the holes. And I've had apples last me into March. Uh, each, al- each apple variety sort of has a different, you know, shelf life, but... Uh, but they can last quite drawer? a while. Well, I'm imagining, well, I Amy, you got like... Fridge. I was just going to say, I was imagining all these different fridges, <laughs> yeah. like or with different varieties. one fridge that's just one big produce drawer. <laughs> yeah. So the concept of putting it out in a very lovely fruit bowl in the middle of November is not a great idea. No, and, you know, I'm doing it right now. I went to an orchard. I went to Allison's Orchard in Walpole, New Hampshire, which is has about sure. 150 heirloom varieties. It's fabulous. Mm. Bought a bunch of varieties, came home, and they were so beautiful. Now I have them on the dining room table, but I was just looking at them this morning, and the they're getting a little, you know, they're getting ripe, so I've got to put them in the fridge now. Or you got to make latkes with them. We've got a fabulous yes. recipe on our site from your book. Which premieres today. It debuts today. Your apple and sweet potato latkes. Oh, great. You know, and I would love to suggest those for... Um, this year because Hanukkah and Thanksgiving are on the same day. Perfect. And exactly. so what more perfect side dish than the sweet potato latkes? I mean, people went crazy. Our testers love this. Oh, yeah. Oh, it's so good. Raved and raved. I mean, we test every recipe that goes on the site. And so it has to be, you know, it has to be well executed and really amazing to make the site. But I mean, our testers really raved yeah. about it. We have latkes. 150. That's 150 recipe testers. And they, the ones who tested flipped. One person said, the recipe was a perfect combination of sweet and savory. Kudos to Amy Traverso for a perfect recipe. That's so nice. Isn't that wonderful? 
Okay, so I want to tell you about this delicious recipe. You start with two pounds of sweet potatoes. Mm-hmm. Uh, can be, you know, garnet or jewel or whatever you have in your market. And then three large, firm, tart apples. So I thought this recipe needed a tartar apple to give a little contrast and a little acidity. Sure. But if what you have is golden delicious or jazz or honeycrisp, by all means, use those. Go it's fine. It. Um, but just the firmness is more the thing because you don't want them to get too mushy. Okay. Um, and then for the, you always want that onion flavor in, in latkes, but I yeah. thought the shallots would be better in this one nice. because, you know, nice. Yeah. And then you just, uh, so you, you want to grate everything. Now, everyone who's made latkes knows that the central challenge of the latka is, is the moisture content and having to squeeze the water mm-hmm. out of those white dry, yeah. potatoes when you, when you make them. With sweet potatoes, you don't have to do that. Right. You don't have to squeeze because they're not going to let out a bunch of water. They're drier to start with. So you've got grated sweet potatoes, apples, and shallots, and then you just mix and bind them with uh, six eggs with some a cup of matzo meal, some salt, some pepper, and you're done. And mm. then you just mm-hmm. fry them up, and you know you want to um, you want them to be thin and, and crisp on the outside, about maybe a third of an inch thick. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you put them in the hot oil, about 370 degrees, and you press on them a bit just to flatten them out. And then once they're cooked, you know they're crispy and well browned, uh, maybe five minutes total for for both sides, mm. uh, or for the first side, sorry, and then maybe two or three minutes for the second side. I am really hungry right now. Yeah. Now, do you go the applesauce route, or do you go the sour cream route on top? I I, I need both. I really oh, like both at okay. the same time. Okay, yeah. even with the apple in there. Wow, okay. Yeah, nice. yeah. It's like exponential. Yes. Apple squared. Yes, apple It squared. is, yeah. Amy, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. It was fun. Happy autumn. You too. Amy Traverso is the senior lifestyle editor at Yankee Magazine. And her first book, The Apple Lover's Cookbook, which we have taken to call The The Bible, Bible, won the 2012 Best Cookbook Award in the American category from the International Association of Culinary Professionals. Last year, my partner, the one who I call the one who brings me love, joy, and happiness, and I went to London for a few days for vacation. And when I was there, I got this Harry text from Renee. It was about, not harried. Well, all right. It wasn't. What was a text? It was a text. We agreed about a text. Okay. It was a text that we had to visit this bakery called Outsider Tart, and it was run by these two Americans, David Lesniak and also David Muniz. And so we jumped on the subway and or the tube, and we went all the way out to Chiswick to see this bakery and to meet the two Davids. And wouldn't you know, where were they? In New York with Renee at Rizzoli's for their book signing. Yeah, sorry about that. It was a really lovely evening, too. Anyway, we had a great time, and we ate far too much. And ever since, the one has been talking and talking and talking about the bakery. So earlier today, he and I talked to David and David all the way over in London. Welcome, David and David in London. Uh, We have David L. here in New York. So how do we decide which David is speaking during this interview? Um, Well, we could always listen to me. That's one way to do it. Which is who? That's what we'd prefer. I would prefer that. But um, I I can go by David or David L. or Lesniak. No Lesi, hopefully. (laughs) 
Um, and David Moniz is typically referred to as OD. OD. Especially where the book is concerned. And OD stands for? Other David. Other David. So David Munez, you're the other David. All right. But we, been... we have tried this for seven years, and it still confuses everybody. So it good confuses luck. us. So tell us, how did these two American boys end up in London as the cause celeb of the baking world? I'm very curious. Well, I'll give you the, the nice version. This is, this is OD, um, which is we had an opportunity to move here uh, through my business, and I talked David L. into coming with and bringing the whole family and moving our dogs and our lives for a big adventure in Europe. And uh, so far, we've opened up the bakery. We did that for the first year when I was here in my original business, and we worked on opening up the bakery at the same time. And we opened it up, and we have not seen any of Europe, as I described when we first convinced him to move over. But we have this lovely bakery now as a result. And my adventure is basically washing dishes in the kitchen. <laughs> <laughs> That's very important, though. You must wash it, the yes, dishes. Yes, I, I wake up each day thinking that. Yes. <laughs> it's always but, good to be a scullery maid. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I just want to say, when we took the trip from, I guess, central London out to your bakery, I, I felt like I was being transported into this fairy tale land. I mean, the neighborhood is just all of these things from like Mary Poppins. I mean, beautiful, beautiful buildings. You have these wonderful little shops. And then we got to your bakery, which I love the graffiti. Not, well, I guess it's organized graffiti that you had in the front, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Is that, yeah. And then the shop inside. I mean, it was so warm, so beautiful. We ate our way through the entire entire counter, which was probably, what, 25 feet long? This yeah. is very sad. <laughs> Not more. That's impressive. Not more. Yeah. It was... Well, it is in London, so it's four meters, technically. Oh, okay. Oh, there very you good. go. So tell us, what were some of the biggest hurdles you had to overcome when it came to Brits? How do they take to some of these American uh, desserts and cookies and cakes? They didn't at first. Ah. They were more adventurous um, with the, the food than they were with the, the interaction, but they they liked some things that looked recognizable to them, and they'd try those, and once I think they got a feel and understood that our menu changed every day, and it was sort of on a whim as mm-hmm. opposed to set and rigid, uh, I think they came along with us once they realized that yeah. we did some good stuff, um, and I think that, for me, was the most exciting thing, is, is it was much quicker for them to come along for the ride with the food mm-hmm. than it was for the general experience. Uh, interesting. I have a couple of items I want to talk about. On the site, we have the Alabama Biscuit Muffins, or Muffin Biscuits. So explain to me, I know that that's an unusual name. So David O.D., David Munez, I think that's from your family, correct? It is. It's from the South. Um, and the Biscuit Muffin is, is kind of just what it is. It's from back home, it's a it's a true southern biscuit that's slightly sweet, uh, lots of butter and flour, and it's turned into a muffin shape. So and it's, buttermilk. Uh, yeah, and it's a buttermilk biscuit. Thank you. And what uh, would be what would be similar in the um, English uh, translation? <laughs> is there well, such a thing? So if people here ask what it is, we always tell them it's a lot like a, a plain scone. Oh, interesting. Um, okay. So that they can make a connection that it's slightly sweet. Um, you can have it on its own, or we often suggest it's even better when it's slathered with butter or clotted cream and jam kind of thing. Oh, so it isn't better. So the yeah. typical English way, exactly. Right? 
looking through your cookbook, which is called A Piece of Cake, there's Abuela's Ham and Cheese Biscuit. Now, this really has me going. Talk a little bit about that. I think it's very interesting first. We have to notice that my David is constantly talking about biscuits. What's that about? <laughs> Not the... That's true. I like my biscuits. Yeah. What can I say? Right. I like okay, my well, biscuits. So... If I may interject just quickly, here, biscuit is a cookie, okay? Oh, That whole trope point. we were talking about cookies. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Just oh. saying. Okay. Right. So we but have to get it a, straight here. This is a true American yeah. biscuit. It is a true yeah. American biscuit. Mm-hmm. And it was, um, uh, it was from my side, and other David helped with this. My mother, um, who goes by Abuela to my nieces, and now everybody just calls her Abuela, uh, loves uh, ham and cheese biscuits. Mm. And... Um, so it's David is swooning little... right here as you're talking. <laughs> <laughs> and it was made for her, and that's why I think in the book, also in the beginning, it's the uh, dedicated to her. When we were in your shop, one of my very, this is the one speaking, uh, one of my very, very favorite things that you had there, and there were many, many things that I absolutely loved, including your chocolate, anything chocolate I love, but we have the peanut butter and jelly, what do you call it, the goober bar. Goober the bar. Goober, the goober bar. bar. Yes. And David made them this morning, and the kitchen smelled fantastic. It was unbelievable. And we're going to take a little taste of them right now. And this is right the now, premiere here. on-air taste of the goober bars. Oh. That sounds mm. legitimate. Can you hear it? <laughs> I can. Yeah, it's how it should sound, yes. Mm. What kind mm-hmm. of jelly? What flavor jelly well, did you I use? Well, thing. four fruit jelly. So now, oh. and you want to know what? The fruit wow. jelly has seeds in it. So right now we have seeds stuck mm. in our teeth. Oh, that's fantastic. So we're picking mm-hmm. our teeth, but oh. oh. I tell you, they're so good. And they are, so, I mean, it's just the combination of the salt with the peanuts, you know, the yeah. sweetness with the jelly, the texture. It's this dense, wonderful texture. It is so, so delicious. But of course, you can't eat very many. Well, I'm going to tell you a little interrelational secret here. This is made in a 9 by 13 pan. And the one said, do not offer anyone else anything. I want to bring all of this home. <laughs> Honestly, yeah. he said that. I can be. Well, I want to protect He's what covetous. I want to eat. The so. man's very covetous. So they are fantastic, guys, and they are as good as I remember them being when we were in London at the store. Absolutely. Thank you, David and David, for joining us today. It's been a real pleasure. Thanks, Thank, everybody. Thank you very much. And next time you guys are in London, out west, Chiswick, come and visit us, and we'll feed you right up. Oh, that's a deal. I can assure you we'll be there with bells on. David Lesniak and David Mooney's are the authors of the wonderful book Piece of Cake and also the owners of Outsider Tart in London. You're a goofy goober. We're all goofy goobers. Goofy goofy goober goober. Here's food writer Michael Procopio with his essay, Like an Arancino. When I think of my grandmother, I think of arancini. It's an odd association since she never once stuffed and fried a ball of leftover risotto in her life. But I don't think about her making them. I think about her being one. A plain-looking woman with a crusty shell but one whose insides turn to a wonderful goo when sufficiently warmed. On their first trip to Palermo, my grandparents found themselves wandering a quiet residential street during the Riposo. 
My grandmother loved the enforced quiet of noontime, but was disappointed by the drabness and decay of the houses. The streets were tidy enough, but the stucco in the buildings was old and cracked. This was not how she imagined Sicily. Grandmom didn't have much time to process her disappointment. The buzz of a motor scooter approaching from behind her gave her something else to think about. It was a Vespa Lambretta, a mode of transportation that might be charming when used by the likes of Audrey Hepburn and Gregory Peck in Roman Holiday, but upsetting when the rider is a purse snatcher with no obvious Hollywood connections. The guy probably viewed my grandmother as easy prey, a 60-something female American tourist, which in thieving circles means lots of cash and not much resistance. He rode up alongside her, grabbed the handbag, and took off down the street. Only he wound up taking my grandmom with him. She held on to her purse, once again leaving my grandfather behind thanks to an abrupt choice of transportation. She decided she'd rather be dragged to death than let that son-of-a-bitch thief take what was rightfully hers. He dragged her for nearly a block before he finally let go. It was the shortest excursion of her holiday, but it was the one which left the deepest impression. As luck would have it, my grandmother was deposited directly in front of the home of a luncheoning doctor. He ran to his window to find a woman of extreme middle age lying face down in the street below, smudged, bloodied, and white-knuckling an incredibly well-stitched handbag. He helped her to her feet and brought her inside where he could examine her more closely. Upon entering the doctor's residence, my grandmother fell into a state of severe shock. Her injuries were minor. It was the interior of this kind man's house which caused her convulsions. Everything in there was so beautiful, she'd say lingering on that last word. She couldn't get over the fact that a house whose facade was so dull and cracked and unassuming could hide such beauty. Sometimes when she'd tell the story, she'd rush through the part about the purse snatcher in order to spend more time describing the fine paintings on the walls, the sparkling crystal of the chandeliers, and the gorgeous detail of the fabrics and draperies she found inside the doctor's house. As a child, I found that part boring. I wanted more violence and less interior design. But as I got older, I came to realize that Grandmom's fascination with the decor had nothing to do with being impressed by the man's wealth. I have the feeling it went much deeper than that. On the surface, the affair of the handbag was a simple story of a tough broad and a thief. She recounted the story as though it were a foregone conclusion that she would be victorious over the purse snatcher but at its essence was the sad, sweet tale of a sensitive woman who just might have viewed herself as the doctor's house. I'll never know for sure, but it's how I think about her now. A plain old woman with a no-nonsense facade, but a warm, rich heart only those lucky enough to be let inside or allowed to see. Or, in culinary terms, like an arancino. That was Michael Procopio, food writer, blogger, and smart aleck extraordinaire. If you'd like to read more of Michael's work, visit his blog, foodforthethoughtless.com.
David, so mm-hmm. you wanted to talk about that coffee syrup stuff. Oh, yeah, that's right. Uh, this is our first Leet's Love on Talking With My Mouthful. And everyone, Elite's Love are any of those things that we absolutely can't live without, adore, have found, need to have. And for me, my most recent Leet's Love is Dave's Coffee Syrup. Now, if you are from Massachusetts or Rhode Island, you know exactly what I'm talking about. So for the 99% of the other part of the country, uh, coffee syrup is, imagine chocolate syrup, but made with coffee. Hmm. It's a syrup made with coffee, and it's sweet, and you pour it into milk, and you have coffee milk. So you drank this as a kid growing I did. up? I did. I drank it as a kid. So, well, everyone is like, you know, they're dragging on the cigarettes <laughs> and they're having their coffee. We were having our coffee milk. Oh, that's it's sweet. Like, think about it. It's like coffee. It's like someone having chocolate milk, but we were having coffee milk. And I actually preferred this to chocolate milk. Why? Because I just, I found it a little more sophisticated. I thought that was kind of fun. And it just was different. It was something that's just so South Coast- New England. It's what we just grew up drinking. And why I like this one and why I am bringing this to everyone who's listening is because when I grew up, all of them, and still today, all of the coffee syrups that I drank had uh, high fructose corn syrup, caramel color, all that crap, ascorbic acid thing, and flavorings and salt. There's no reason for that. And all this has, if you look at it, it simply says cane sugar and Dave's cold brewed coffee, which is made with water and fresh roasted coffee. And that is it. Nice. It's made into a syrup. They reduce it, bottle it, and sell it. And that's it. So I am nominating and also awarding Dave's coffee syrup, original coffee syrup. They have other flavors, actually. As our very first on-air, talking with my mouthful, Leet's Love. Now, you can read a lot more about Dave's coffee syrup on Leeds Culinaria under our Leeds Love section, or for those of you who are too impatient, can go directly to davescoffee.com and you'll find out about Dave's Coffee, about the store, and also about their coffee syrup. And that about wraps it up for our fall show. I'm David Leet. And I'm Renee Shetler-Rossi. And please, do not listen to your mother, because we think talking with your mouthful is a perfectly marvelous thing to do. Oh, yes. <laughs>